uh, I'd like to uh, share with you a lot of things tonight that are involved in us. But I just got an email a few minutes ago, actually it is opening up now, and I'm going to uh, just share with you, it's a message from the OK Laboratories. You know that I believe he passed away early in this uh, problem with the COVID-19. He, he unfortunately passed away from the illness, from this illness, from the, from the machla, and uh, they uh, sent out a letter which just came a few minutes ago. As we approach the Shloshim of Daniel Levy, a blessed memory, we share with you the path going forward for the OK Kosher. OK Kosher, under the leadership of Rabbi Levy and the Board of Trustees, has been blessed with the senior management team, an established worldwide network of rabbinic coordinators, mashkichim, and the minister staff with whom we continue to work and rely upon. A conscious committee, VAD, has been appointed, and they will be responsible for administering, maintaining, and further establishing the kasha standards that govern our agency. The members of the VAD are Rabbi Chaim Fogelman, Rabbi Kalman Weinfeld, Rabbi Shalom Bear Hendel, Hendel, and Rabbi Shlomo Weinfeld. The VAD has been tasked with ensuring the continuation of OK Kosher's high kasha standards and policies. OK Kosher will continue to rely on the expertise of our rabbinic coordinators in conjunction with our world-renowned postkim. Um, it seems they, what they did is they, they're making uh, Rabbi Eli Lando as the executive manager, and uh, it seems that they don't give out a name yet of somebody who will actually be, uh, you know, running the organization full, you know, as the, as the main person. So I think they're going to need time for it. That's my guess, and uh, that's what's going to happen. But. I'm sure that everything is going on as before, because these people I know I know the names they have been actually doing the day to day anyway. So it's uh, basically going to go on. That's one piece of information, and I said it's very new because it just came came to me uh, 5:15 actually. I just opened it now. Uh, let me share with you from the OU. Uh, the OU. This is my, this is actually something that I've been talking about. And you'll see that it's uh, a very important statement. We, we've actually said it here. And uh, we're hearing it now from the OU. This came out from the OU on May 8th. Due to COVID-19, some companies are facing challenges producing OU-certified products because of the inability to meet certain requirements. In other words, they can't continue on the OU. As a result, the OU may be temporarily removed from packaging of these products, which means they're going to go back to the company and you know, set it up, make sure that they're happy with it sometime in the future. But right now, they're taking their name off it, the Hashkoch off it. Rest assured that the OU will not appear on any products which do not meet OU standards. Now, I know, and you know, maybe you don't know, I know, that it, uh, labeling, labels, you know, we're not talking about a sticker. We're talking about the actual packaging. Cost of fortune. People have hundreds of thousands of dollars in packaging that's stored up, and it has the OU on it. Now, you can't tell me they're going to throw that in the garbage when you know and I know that they have to come out with they have to come out uh, uh, with the OU again later on, and they're not switching from the OU because no one else can take them, 
because they, they can't do what the OU wants. So what is the what, what's going to happen is they're going to they might buy new packaging for the temporary time, but more likely they're just going to cover over the OU. So you won't see it will not appear. You see, but it doesn't mean it won't be in the packaging. So you have to watch. Hopefully, you won't have anything that you know will be a mistake. I mean, I assume a lot of it's done by machine, and if it's done by hand, I'm sure they're pretty accurate. But I would say, if you have a sticker on a product that has OU, and the product says, the sticker says new or improved or uh, uh, something else, some something that is not you know necessarily been there all the time in the last uh, while, you've never seen it before, I would be suspicious. I would check with the OU now because they're telling you that the OU is going to be off the product, but you know and I know they can't in one day or two days or three days have uh, have all the new packaging. I don't know if you know, I'm going to try to explain it to you. A company like Heinz has 30,000 labels or more. Years ago, I heard that number, so maybe it's 50,000. But they have 30,000-plus labels. You know, there's different SKUs and different companies. They make you producing for different people. All of those, if there's one item that's not going to be OU, it would, could be as much as 500 labels that have to be changed. Nobody's going to be able to get that all those labels switched and, 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 and not going to lay out fortunes of money because you can't, if you buy packaging in small quantities, it costs you much, much more. So you buy in large quantities to bring down the price. If you're going back to the OU, then you're going to want to make sure that you don't uh, that, that you don't have to get rid of the packaging. So you're going to cover it over. So I'm telling all the people right now that even though the OU is saying you won't see the OU on it, I'm saying just be sure that you think they didn't, you don't think they try to cover it up. Because they try to cover it up and they missed it, so you know that's that's going to be another unauthorized OU situation. But you don't want to eat it because the OU is saying we don't take any responsibility for it. That's something to be you know uh, that that's already in our department as the consumer. The OU writes though, rest assured, the OU will not appear on any products which do not meet the OU standards. Consumers should not rely on their familiarity of brands or products without verifying the presence of a kosher label. In other words, you've been buying this thing for 20 years. It always was OU. You're buying from a company that has always been OU for all their products, and they're telling you now that is history. COVID-19, you have to check every package. And not just COVID-19, but it will be after COVID-19 also, because hopefully COVID-19 is going to go by soon. So when we, but it, it could be on the packaging like this for quite a while, but they didn't have the OU. So you have to be looking for a hashkocha, and this is not go for the OU. It goes for anybody. But OU is telling us that they have a number of these products. They're not giving any names that they're going to remove their the hashkocha because they're honest, and if they can't administer the hashkocha, they won't. They'll just say. It's not OU, but there has to be a cover-up or new packaging. And I'm, just, and I'm saying new packaging is probably not going to come into existence. Uh, so that's very important, and I think everyone should be aware of it. So those are two important updates. Now, I have here a very wonderful document. just got it 
from the OU, the Dafa Kashras. Everyone really should be reading it. It's wonderful. It costs nothing. And they had questions on COVID-19, and they had uh, guidelines that they have for how they handle in China, etc. And we're going to let you know, this is the inside scoop on what is being done. Very, very interesting. Let's start with uh, what is being done at the plants. Now, this is a, a report from Rabbi Gabriel Bright Price, who is in charge of ingredients and flavors at the OU, and Rabbi Monty Grunberg, who is the RFR in China. Now, I think, I think Rabbi Grunberg lives, lives in Israel, but he's responsible for China. Rabbi Grunberg was the one person who worked in the office together with, uh, I think he was the only one working in the office together with Rabbi Ganak when Rabbi Ganak first took over. Eventually he moved, I believe, to Israel, and, uh, and, and now he's doing the work in China for the OU. So obviously that's an area that you couldn't go to for a while now, and yet they're starting up, and it's not so easy for people to get there. So we're really in a very interesting time frame, and the OU has told us, and, and you're going to see here a little bit, that if it's something like a group, group one, which doesn't really need a shkocha, they put it on because whatever reasons, but it's something that they feel confident that didn't have a shkocha be okay. So that's not a big deal that they're putting the on and they don't go there on, a, on any regular basis and that they're producing things now without a mashkiah. But there are things that need a mashkiah there. So Rabbi Gwynberg is talking to us about what he does and how he is administering to the companies that do need Ashkocha. And, of course, we're not talking mashkiah timidi because when you need a mashkiah timidi, you can't have it, so you have to take off the OU. The OU won't, won't chintz on that. We don't have to worry about that. And that's the faith we have to have in our solid cautious organizations that they're going to conduct business the way they've been conducting all the time in terms of their standards. In practice, they may not be going very often, but they are doing administration on a level that they feel is equivalent to what they were doing before. Okay, let me read some of this to you. Uh, already many, many uh, visits are being performed. We're using this method of uh, a, a, a virtual inspection, meaning they're going to use a uh, handheld device, and the person, the rabbi, calls in from here, or wherever he is, and he speaks to somebody in the plant, and the person in the plant takes that handheld device and goes wherever the rabbi tells him to go and shows him whatever the rabbi wants to see. And uh, that on the basis of that, they're, they're, they're convinced that things are in order. Now, this is exactly what's going on. I'll tell you what happens is that when I read this, I don't want to stop and stress a point. I want you to be able to hear between the lines because I don't want to spell everything out. So I'm going to read it. I'll try to read part of it anyway, slowly. And I want you to try to think about what is the implication of what Rabbi Wickler is saying that is in the Dafa Kashras from the OU. So they have these virtual inspections. Already many such visits have been performed, and the feedback we are receiving is that when done thoughtfully with proper preparations, these visits 
can be effective, have depth, and can anchor our certification until on-site visits resume. Then he goes on and talks about what he does in China. Keep in mind that while the following information pertains to plants in China, I don't see any reason why rabbinical field representatives who are familiar with their regular contacts and plants would feel any different. My input is based on over 60 virtual inspections of plants in China over the last several weeks via, this is, a, this is what they use, WeChat video conferencing. I've been on hearing over here because we're using the Zoom and this and that. WeChat. China does not allow WhatsApp, WhatsApp, I'm sorry, Google, Facebook, or any or other social media. See, China is ahead of America. China does not allow WhatsApp, Google, Facebook, or other social media, but they do the WeChat. Um, so only say one by one, I sent out texts to the different uh, companies that he wanted to visit. Some I had to contact via email to obtain the WeChat ID to my contacts that I will be making virtual visits in order to continue the kosher certification program, because without that, he can't continue it. All the responses were extremely favorable, and I started setting up two to three visits a day including initial inspections. That means the first time before any, to find out what's going on in the plant and whether the OU can certify it. So those we call initial inspections are also being done virtually. I asked each contact to submit via WeChat or email relevant documentation as well as a signed document on their company letterhead with the company official seal stamp stating that the production process has not changed since the last kosher audit, that means a visit by the mashkiach, and that all raw materials and finished products conform to the OU Schedule A and B, respectively. A and B is the uh, Schedule A. Is, uh, these, these are things that, they, that they're allowing them to use, and, and, and that's all they could use. This helps simply because a virtual inspection is still not a physical inspection. Thus far, the plants have no issues with virtual visits. In fact, one plant manager said to me yesterday, Rabbi, the OU kosher should do this all the time, as it will save on expenses. My response is that the virtual visits are just holding us over so there, there is no breach in the kosher certification, but not a substitute for physical inspections. Keep in mind that there are plants with poor or no Internet or Wi-Fi connections, others that do not allow phones in the workshops, and those that do not allow photographs to be taken. However, these are few in number. Overall, plant contacts are very appreciative that we could continue the kosher certification since it's critical to their business. Most plants restarted production post-Chinese New Year and post-corona in the last few weeks. 
So China's ahead of us there, and they have started producing. So it does make a very big difference whether or not kosher could continue on those Chinese products. Of course, it would be nice if we got away from China, but that's what we're doing. And are months behind normal schedule, which means they have to start catching up and doing a lot of work to fill their, uh, their the demands for their products, and they, they're not going to stop. They're not waiting until the rabbis can come for visit. This is primarily due to quarantining of all migrant workers, and many still don't have their full workforce. By the way, I don't think they're allowing foreigners into their plants yet either. For the virtual visits due to the time difference, I scheduled the visits on China time between 12 p.m. and 5 p.m. Each visit is set up in advance when he's going to be calling. At least that's what it looks like here. Each virtual visit depends on if they are already OU certified or it's an initial inspection. Initial inspections can range from a minimum of one to three hours. Some plants I had to split into two sessions and for various reasons. For example, I would inspect the warehouses one day and the workshops on a different day. It means all this is over the uh, phone. Actual visitations follow the same pattern as my physical visits, which, uh, uh, which the contact people are well aware of, including the raw material and finished goods warehouses, workshops, packing areas, laboratories in some cases, and documentation as above. I don't know what he meant as above, but he, he mentioned that he does request, request documentations from them. It is important to note that the Chinese culture is so long as they are paying certification fees, they desire proper servicing and guidance. There is occasional changeover in personnel who handle the kosher program, and without a guiding hand, mistakes can happen. Those virtual visits serve to maintain communication and connection to their kosher program and the OU. It's also critical that the OU Beijing and New York office maintain contact with the plants so that they're aware that while we may not be with them physically, we are still with them virtually. In other words, it's not enough that Rabbi Marty Greenberg is making an inspection, but they have to know that the ones who were giving Lashkoch, means OU beat Beijing, which is the branch of the OU there, and that the OU here in the New York have communication with them. And that gives you a little bit of an idea, which I found fascinating, about how it's being done. And uh, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't uh, want to point out to you directly, and maybe some of my astute listeners were, was able, to find, <laughs> were able to find the little things that I was, wanted you to find. And if you didn't, don't worry. <laughs> you know, the OU is doing their level-headed best, and from what I can see, they're probably ahead of most of the other people. Let's go now to some of the COVID questions. This was extremely interesting. The OU had Shilas that tied into to COVID. It bothers me a little bit, and they're going to bother you, but these are real-life questions, and, you know, you can't – when a person is making a panasa, you can't ask questions of why is he doing this. I've, I've seen similar things that maybe I'll tell you a little bit about. These are COVID questions that were put to Rabbi uh, Herschel Schachter, who is one of the main uh, 
the, what they call Yoetz Halacha, one of the main Rabbanim who, who deal with Halachic Shilas, which are decided at the OU. Now, it's a sort of a, a loose-fitting arrangement. Policy that's made for the OU has to be signed off by Rabbi Ganak. Rabbi Nachum Ganak has to sign off on the policy. But it seems that he could consult Rabbi Belsky, was consulted, Rabbi Herschel Shatter was consulted, and uh, it could be that they have other people that you could contact as well. I know that they ask Rabbi Weiss in Israel, and I, I don't know if the regular Mashkichim call him or not, whether are the RCs and the OU office up there call him. I, I don't know. But I know that they utilize different people, and one of them is Rabbi Shachter. But when these people spoke, when Rabbi Shachter and Rabbi Belsky would have differences of opinion, they'd be brought down, you know, this one holds this one, this holds that way. At this point, a lot of the work is going through Rabbi Shachter. So here's what he said on these questions, which were extremely interesting. And uh, for us, as people who are suffering from COVID-19 in the, in being, by being in our houses, not being able to go to shul, not being able to daven with a minion for most of us, and not be able to go learn in the yeshivas, it's, um, you know, and to go to work and everything else, and regular shopping and all the little stores you want to go to. So it, it is, uh, and the simchas. So, but we have to understand this is a question that's being asked. So it seems that the OU has, I'm reading the question, we have a facility, the OU facility, where the mashkichim are present 365 days a year, every single day. The OU must be there. I don't know which camp plant it is, but there's a facility where the mashkichim are there every single day, including Shabbos and Yom Tov. Sounds like Yom Kippur, too. I read a piece with somebody who was doing a supervision over Rosh Hashanah, and he had to be available 24 hours. And how he did it, I mean, you know, it's a whole story, you know, how he was able to con- conduct this hashkacha, and what was his davening like. But we, we don't understand. People are making, this is their panasa. We, we don't understand what it means to be uh, in, on a... Chal of Yisrael farm, where they're making, where they're doing milking, and the milking is in the middle of the night, and the milking could be on Shabbos. They have to do what they have to do. Uh, I remember that there was a, a, a farm up in the Catskills. It was very near Camp Monk, and there was a mashkiach there during the week, but on Shabbos, the mashkiach couldn't be there, and the boys from Camp Monk were the mashkichim. The production was done on Shabbos, and they were the mashkichim. But they were not allowed, the rabbis wouldn't allow them to touch anything, to put anything in, to do anything with their hands. It could only be that they observed everything. Whereas during the week, there was more hands-on work by the mashkiach. But still in all, it had to be on Shabbos. The OU has a shkocha on bakeries, bakeries that are, uh, you know, in, in, in-store bakeries. And those bakeries open seven days a week, 365 a year. Maybe, uh, maybe I don't think they close at all. And, uh, and the question comes up about Shabbos. So they make preparations for it, and they, they control the situation for Shabbos. And they're not there on Shabbos. 
But I was told by one of the people who, who deals with hundreds of these plants across the United States, of these, of these bakeries across the United States, he told me that whenever possible, we do send somebody in, if it's near enough to, the, to where they could walk, we send somebody in once in a while on Shabbos. And I know that they do it in, in, five, in the five, five towns. They also have a certain nashkocha. I'm not going to tell you details, but in the five towns, there is a certain nashkocha where they go in on Shabbos. Again, maybe not every week, but they let, but they know that we can come in on Shabbos. Some other people do other, maybe a trick, for tricks that people can do to make, make them think that you might come in. But the reality is we don't have that kind of necessity, but there is at least one plant the OU certifies where there's 365 days a year they have to go in. Now, here's the problem. That's just the background. Here's the problem. The company is now taking the temperature of anybody who enters the building by using an infrared electronic thermometer, you know, that little thing that they hold up to your head and they, they see what the temperature is. So is this a problem for Shabbos? So here's what Rabbi Shachta said. But the point, the question is more exciting than the answer. The question is, is Gavaltic. I'm not doing it because I want to do it. I'm not telling him to do it for me, but I can't get in the plant unless I let him take my temperature. And I'm, so I'm, in a sense, I'm participating. Not the same way as, you know, uh, putting your hand into something. You're just standing there, and he's taking the temperature. Rav Shachter explains that allowing oneself to have their temperature taken, even though one does not do any part of the actual malacha, is normally forbidden. This is similar to the case of one who brings a pot and fills it with water, and then another one turns on the fire. The last one is Chayev, he did the malacha, and the first two, the one who brought the pot and the one who filled it with water, they're pato of halaser. It's not the isa but it's aser midorabonin. If you brought the pot with the intent of, baking, of, of the water being boiled, and he put the water in with the intent of it getting boiled, and the third guy turned on the fire, but the first two were doing parts of it too, and therefore midorabonin is in the veira. So, in a sense, maybe you're doing the same thing here. So that, that's what he raises. But then he quotes Rav Salavechik, who explained that this is considered a groma. A groma means an indirect situation. He therefore said that one may not pose for a picture on Shabbos, even though the non-Jew is taking the picture, and the Jew is not involved in the actual malacha. So you can you elect then take your picture. I mean, again, if he takes your picture against your will, nothing you do about it. And this gets to the whole question about going in front of the uh, video cameras that, uh, you know, that, that, that is in front of houses and taking your picture. Well, if you go ahead and you wave on the video camera, that's 100% awesome. No one with his right mind would say you're allowed to do that. Not that you're ever going to see, uh, be shown the video, but you're actually acting performing and, and recording that on the video. So that's not cricket. We know that that's not acceptable. But question is, walking past it, okay, so you're not there. So they, you know, 
in the Mahaven and in Psikresha and it's and 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 also in the Mahaven and also it's uh, you know it, it, you having how no hana from it it's it's but but uh, but that's that's a special situation where you can't get out of it but here you go over to the guy and he takes your temperature and you're a participant it's not that you're just passing by because you got to leave the building you must walk over there hey sir come here you have to go over there and have your temperature taken. So it's, uh, in a sense, it's at least a groma. However, since an infrared thermometer is only a malacha de rabbonin, that's what he said, because it's a ksiva de rabbonin using electricity. In this case, it would be permitted, since it would be a groma of an isa de rabbonin b'mokom hefsid. Basically, what the man is saying is, with rab- the rabbi uh, who wrote this up, up and uh, Rabbi Shachter is saying, is that when you put, when, you, 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 you are, you, what you are doing is uh, you're, you're, you're participating, so that's the groma, but the, the Easter is only Easter the Rabbonin, and there's a loss here. Now, he doesn't go into the loss, but that, well, we, know, we know what the loss is. The loss is, first of all, they can't have the product. And the other loss is he doesn't get paid. Now, you're going to ask me, should he be working on Shabbos? Then that's a different question. But then you could ask a question whether a rabbi can work on Shabbos, a balakoyim can work on Shabbos, the, the, the person who is babysitting can work on Shabbos. And we have many heterim. And there's no question that uh, uh, different other people work on Shabbos, that, that are, you know, the uh, waiters, etc. There's many, many, many people that that is a major part of their life. And here he's doing uh, something that is needed for the tzibur, I assume. I mean, I have no idea what the product is. But he's, he's calling it a, uh, a hefzit, a, a loss. And that's the heter he has here. The next one, also interesting, same place. The same facility now controls access through one hallway to allow for social distancing. Walking in the, this hallway will trigger a sensor that turns on the light, what should we do? That's an interesting question. Because here, you want the light to go on. You want to go, you, you want the, the, the door to open. You know, it's like in the hospital. So you can't say, you can't say, you can't say it's a, you don't want it. And you're causing it. So basically, what he comes out is that you should have a goy, do it for you, and, and there's two types of, of uh, this, is, this is very interesting, in the according to Rabbi Shachter, there were two types of lights. The light that is a fluorescent or an incandescent bulb, you cannot ask a goy to turn on the light, but you can ask him to lead you to the room, and he'll turn the light on. That's not forbidden. And if there's an LED light, According to Rabbi Shachter, an LED light is only the Rabbonin, and therefore you could actually tell the Goy to turn on the light. All right, you don't want to do it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't mind if you, don't, if you tell them to you know, I, you, you can help you get to the room. I don't mind that either. But these are real-life situations, and then he talks about whether you can wear a, a surgical mask and gloves outdoors, which is a question for a lot of people. Basically, uh, not, not such a big issue, uh, but you'll see if you, if you want to know more about it, you can get it from the Dafa Kashras. 
And then the last one is very intriguing. Can Chol of Yisrael be achieved through watching on a video? In other words, are you seeing it? This is a big question, very interesting. And Rabbi Shachter said yes, but the cameras must be all over so that he can see everywhere. So nothing can be done without the Meshkiach noticing. All right, so that is a technical thing, how you set that up. But he says, in principle, it should be doable. So that gives you a little idea, some very interesting things from the OU on the topic of COVID-19 and how they deal with some of the issues that are coming up. I, uh, we've all heard a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the future, about the davening. Hopefully it's going to come back soon. How soon, we don't know. And uh, we, we, we're hoping that the, the shows will be open and be able to conduct themselves in the near future, close or exactly like they had been before. But initially, there will be a time where you're not able to uh, have many people in not close proximity. You won't be able to have some of the freedom in, in, the, in the show the way you would have before. Some of the older people may not be coming to the show. It's going to be a very different experience when you get back, but it looks to me, if you were a warrior, it looks to me like it's going to be very soon that they're going to be opening things up in shuls again. And I uh, heard very good reports from Israel about how things are doing, and I see things are really, Baruch Hashem, turning around. But I know a lot of people are nervous, and they should be. But I want to share with you a few words I mean, it's not a few words. I got a lot of material here, but some interesting material from Rabbi Shimon Schwab, Zechat Tzadik, the Kaddish Livracha. I had the zechus to know him in in, uh, in in a number of situations dealing with kashras over the years, and Rabbi Schwab was the leader of the uh, Breuer's community in Washington Heights, and uh, a very very wonderful speaker, very understanding person, deep. You could understand him. He wasn't talking over your head. And it was very, you know, you wouldn't argue on anything because it was perfect. That's the way his delivery was, was fantastic. He was very loved. And uh, it, was a, it was a big loss when he passed away. This is from 1998, a speech that he gave on Purim on, in 1998. It was the Yort site. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wrong. I got it wrong. Uh, no, I got it wrong here. This um, doesn't say, not clear. It's not clear what, what it was going, but it says 1998. I'm not sure who, uh, uh, what the occasion was. In any event, he deals with the question of emunah and bitachon, faith, trusting in our Kaddish Baruch It's a fantastic piece. You could get it easily. Uh, there's a website that has it. A lot of his speeches, and uh, Stevens University. Should, all you have to do if you do internet is type in Rabbi Shimon Schwab, Amuna, or Bitachon, and either one of those words, and it's going to come up. It's Stevens at, 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 uh, edu, but you'll be able to get it. And he had they have they listed about 20 of his very famous speeches. This one is about about bitachon, which is what many people are struggling with. In fact, 
it was given to me, this piece was given to me by a Talmud of mine who was who, who said he gets a lot out of this, and he suggested that, that people know more about this particular speech of Rabbi Schwab. So I think it, it was very worthwhile, and I, I want to share some of it with you. It's talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Aramavinu calls him Aleph Dalid Nun and Yud, which is, means Adnus, which means master, but not master, my master. That's, that's what Hashem is called by Aramavinu. And what's the difference between a Melech, a king, and an Odon, a master? The difference is very simple. The Odon is my private master. A king? <laughs> I, recognize, I, I recognize him that he is my king, but he has no shaykhs to me. This is all from Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Schwab. But my, my, my Odon is my private master, Rabbi Schwab says. I shine his shoes. I wash his laundry. On the other hand, I have nothing to do with the Melech. So uh, Abraham Avinu said that Hashem is his Odon. That's, that means that we're very close with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Adon Olam. But to us, each one of us feels he's our Odo. Okay. Um, there's a, he, he explains that the, Rabbi Schwab explains that Bitochon is based on the Muna. The Ramban wrote a whole sefer on Bitochon. And Muna, I'm quoting now from Rabbi Schwab. And Muna is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has Hashkocha Protis, that Hashkocha Baruch is interested in you and me. That is Emuna. That I trust what's happening to me in my life is Hashkocha Protis from HaKadosh Baruch. That is what Emuna means. It, uh, the trouble is that we don't realize it because we're emotionally stuffed up. We don't feel it. That's what Rabbi Schwab said. What does it mean, Anima Min Be'emuna Shlema? that I believe in complete faith. What does that mean? So he explains that it's not really the word believe, the way it used in the English language, but it means totally convinced. Emuna Shlema means I'm totally convinced. It gives an example. Suppose all the professors in the universities come and say to me, Rabbi Schwab, this is not a table. It's an elephant. I then say to them, I don't care. If you say this is an elephant, you are nothing and I am nothing. If life comes to an end, it's a table. In other words, total conviction. I don't care. I know that this is true. How can I get this total conviction? If I have total conviction, then I understand that whatever happens, happens because of the Ribbono Shaloylam. He wants it that way. That's Bitochum. It, it says in the Aseris, in the, I'm sorry, in the, in the, in the, in the Esrei, L'chol haboitchim b'shimcho b'emes, to all that trust in you with truth. <laughs> you mean they could trust in Hashem with sheker, but not truth? No. It means I'm not scared. I trust in Hashem and I don't get scared. That's the problem. People who are getting scared. You shouldn't be scared. The low ero, I'm not scared. If one has bitachon, he is not scared. The test of bitachon is if one is scared. If you're scared, you have no bitachon. And if you have no bitachon, 
it shows a lack of emuna. In other words, we don't feel the mamoshes. We don't feel Hashem's really there. We say in the Kriyashma, Ani Hashem Elokeichem, we say, Ani Hashem Elokeichem. We're saying that Hashem is our God, and Elokeichem is from that Elokeim, which is the, Hashem is our God, and, and he, he took us out of Mitzrayim. You also have a Pesach, Atoha Reis Aladas Ki Hashem Elokeim. We do it a few times a year, we lay in our Tisha Bob, and we say it in Simplest Torah, that you showed for us to experience Ki Hashem Elokim. You made it possible for us to experience that you are our God. Haresa means you've shown us. Ladas means to know. That means that we have Yediyah. We have actual knowledge, full knowledge, that Hashem Huwe Elokim. We said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah. He took us out of Mitzrayim. And he said to us, Ani Hashem Elokeichem, I am your God. The, the Pesach doesn't say that Ani Hashem Elokeichem created you. It says, I'm the one who took you out of Mitzrayim. I, you know that, and therefore you know that I am here. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying to us. But there comes a time, says Rabbi Schwab, when there is no Matan Torah, and there are no mit nisim, and there's no wonders. There's regular life. We still have Ani Hashem Elokeichem. This is the same Ani Hashem Elokeichem as we had before. That's what Amuna is. Amuna means that I feel that when I can't feel that Hashem is doing these miracles, etc., that I know that He's there, like that table is a table, I have completely convinced that's emuna. When you can't see it, that's emuna. Emuna is based on das, knowledge that Hashem exists. Hakadosh Baruch Hu shows it to us. You don't have to believe in a thing; He shows it to us. Emuna means faithful. emuna. That Moshe Rabbeinu's hands were being held up. The Torah says when Moshe stretched out his hands, this emuna must remain forever. That is one's whole life. In other words, the amuna which I get when I see miracles, the nisim and the flows, must last with me for my whole life. That's what amuna is. Did we saw? That's not the amuna. It's happening, you get a miracle, that's not the amuna. But that's the stuff that makes the amuna that when you can't see it, that you have the faith that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is running your life now even though you can't see those miracles in front of you. What is Amuna? Amuna is when there are no miracles, no Yetzirah Mitzrayim, nothing. Yet I come to a place in the desert with 600,000 people and no water, nothing to drink. And now I have the Amuna that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. I know and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take care. Why is the situation this way? Why does this occur? Because that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants it. Don't ask any questions. This is the way the Rishbonu Shal Olam wants it. When you have a pain, that's a yesh, that's real. When it hurts, that's a yesh, that's real. If all of a sudden one gets a toothache in the middle of the night and wakes up with a pain, 
That's yesh. That's real. You can't deny it. It's not your imagination. You don't have to believe in it. It's yesh. It's real. Emuna in the Ribbona Shololam must be a yesh. We have our job is to make the faith that we have in our Kaddish Baruch Hu, a yesh, just like when you feel it. When you feel the nace, when you feel the toothache, Lavdil, you have to feel that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is with you at the time when you can't see anything. So when they said, Hayesh, Hashem Bekirbenu Imayin, the people said, uh, we, whether Hashem is with us or not, they're questioning whether Hashem is with us. They were they were chotu b'yesh. They said a chet by saying yesh. Is he here? That's the chet. Of course he's there. They believe that there is a ben sholom, but he's not there all the time, meaning that there was no emuna. If he does miracles, that's fine. But if he doesn't do any miracles and no nisim, then you can't, I cannot see the ben sholom. I don't see him. I don't feel him. Hazal give us a marshal. A son is sitting on the shoulders of his father. And he asked his father for a favor. The son says, give me this or give me that. Give me a drink of water. Pick up the apple. Whatever the son asks, the father does. Then someone comes over and asks the boy, did, did you see your father? The child answers, no. When the father hears this, he throws the child off his shoulders. The boy told the truth. When he sits on his father's shoulders, he can't see him. He doesn't see his father. You don't see him. But he does everything for you but you can't see him. Rebona Sholem expects us, that when we saw it and we knew it at the Yamsuf, that for all the time, even if we had no neat miracles or no uh, wonders, when there is a Hester Astia Panai, when there's a Hashem hides himself, there are Tsaris, and sometimes even innocent people suffer because of it. They believe that there is a Ribbona Shalom, but he's not there all the time, meaning that there, is, that there was no Emuna. If they didn't believe in it at that time, they didn't believe him at that time, there was no Emuna. Everybody in his personal life, and I think everybody can relate to this, has seen miracles, Nisim and the flows. I certainly can say that, Rabbi Schwab said. I came out from under Hitler, Yamach Shemo. The fact that I am here sitting in front of you, instead of burning to ashes in Auschwitz, is Nisim in the flows. And he goes on to talk about somebody who wouldn't listen to him about getting out. Unfortunately, he was killed. Suppose all of a sudden one can't walk or can't talk. One has a Muna Shlema that this is Min HaShemayim. And if it's Min HaShemayim, it's good. Bitachon means that not that I have bitachon, that it will go away, that everything will turn out the way I want it to be. The Chazanish says people think bitachon means that when a person goes to the hospital, he has bitachon that he'll, never, that he'll come out again. That's not bitachon. That's hopeful thinking. That's wishful thinking. Bitachon means that I hope that the Ribbonashon will hear my prayers and take me out again. But whatever he does, it comes from him, and I accept it. I'm Makabal, I accept it. And that gives me Menuchas HaNefesh. I feel that I am in the best hands. That is Bitochon. That's Amunah.
Nowadays, people don't do it anymore. But in my times, people traveled on the Greyhound, by the Greyhound bus. There used to be a sign on the buses, relax and leave the driving to us. Ribbon says to us, relax and leave the driving to me. Relax, it's not your world. Leave the driving to me. This is what Veloira, Hashem Li Veloira means. Hashem is my God and I will not fear. That's what it means when we say, That's what Bitochon Be'emes is. The test of Bitochon Be'emes is that you're not afraid. But unfortunately, people do get afraid. And we have to remember that Hashem is doing the driving and leave the driving to Him. And that's, where, that's, that's more or less what Rabbi Schwab said. And it was a beautiful piece. And this word is being spread to many people. It's a very important thing that we all have to have that real bitachon and that Hashem, even though we can't, we can't always see the nisim and the flows, but we have the faith that whatever is good, whatever he's doing is good, it's from Hashem, and he is here, and he's not forgotten us, and that's, that's what Emunah and bitachon is all about. I have a lot of other things here, but I want to share with you in the last few minutes, Another piece from Rabbi Schwab. I'm not going to read it. It's just too much. It's an amazing piece about Kristallnacht. And what Rabbi Schwab tells, it's a long piece, Rabbi Schwab tells that the Kristallnacht was, night, was November 9th, 1938. And he said that it was because of the Greenspan who shot uh, Von Rath and, and that, that whole thing that created the whole Kristallnacht. And it, he said that an interesting thing, that 76, 79 years before this, before this uh, crystal knot, 79 years before, was the centennial, that means 100 years since the, since the birth of a German poet by the name of Friedrich Philipp von Schiller. And Schiller was a tremendous humanist. He had very, very wonderful plays and poetry, and he had very fine ideas and ideals, and it was like classic German. It was very classic. And Rabbi Schwab says that when he got bar mitzvah, he got Schiller. He got Mishnayas, and he got a Rambam, beautiful set. But believe it or not, says Rabbi Schwab, I got a set of Schiller, a set of Goich, of, of Gilpatst, of Lessing, of Sarmeso, I got all the classics because people didn't understand that the Goyim could be what they were with all of their sophistication, with all of their education, with all of their philosophies, with all of their uh, whatever humanism, with all of the wonderful things that are written in Schiller, etc. So Rabbi Schwab says that the one thing we have to know is that afterwards, today, when you get when you get a bar mitzvah boy, says another lesson from the Crystal Nach: give the bar mitzvah boys svarim. If they aren't fluent in Hebrew, give them art scroll. If they can't read Hebrew, get them translations. But classics, this is not done anymore. 
we have a tremendous, we learned a tremendous lesson. If Gentiles develop an ethical cultural group, good for them. They need it. For us, it means nothing. It's a thin veneer which does not penetrate. It fades away. The Nazis were also students of Schiller and Goethe. They studied ethics and humanism, and, they, and then they tortured and burnt and destroyed one-third of our people. These were the Talmudim of this empty humanistic culture. It's lost all meaning for us. Only the teachers of Torah entitled to teach us what is right and good and true and beautiful. And but he, uh, this, uh, this, this speech here was uh, talking about Rav Shimshon Farl Hirsch. That's how he got into this whole topic. And um, it, it, Rabbi Schwab, by his, by his very manner of speaking, he gave us a way to understand life. He was a fantastic leader, not just of the, of the people in his kahila, in the boys' kahila in, in Manhattan, in Washington Heights, but he was a leader of Klai Israel. I still remember the times that he spoke in the public gatherings, whether it was a Goodest Yisrael, Torah Mesorah, or any of these public gatherings he spoke at. He was the main speaker. I still remember him being lifted up in a chair to the dais to speak because he couldn't walk anymore. I remember these. I remember the 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 depth of his words. It went right through the person. He had a tremendous understanding, and it it, it uh, was a tremendous loss. And Baruch Hashem, the Kahila continues. And there was a beautiful video. I don't know if you have people were able to see it when the the Navaminska uh, Rebbe, the Chronol of when he was talking about the Kahila in Washington Heights. But two weeks ago, I think they had it on. Uh, it was, they made it available on, in the liquid scoop, made it available for people to see. It was a beautiful video of Rabbi of Navaminska Rebbe talking about the, the whole Kahila in Breuer's and how they were able to preserve that Kahila when so many, so many of them were completely wiped out. So we're giving you a little bit of an idea of uh, some of the things that are happening in the conscious world now. And uh, I, I see I didn't get to either one of these uh, other pieces that I wanted to do, but from Rabbi Gersten, hopefully we'll have a chance in the future to discuss them. If you want to reach us anytime, our telephone is 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363. And you can also reach us online at Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, Kashrus at AOL.com. Right now I'm working very much to figure out how to put down in writing some of the thoughts that we had over uh, uh, the, uh, with dealing with the coronavirus and, uh, and some of the fallout for us. I, I wrote a little bit about it in the Kashrus Monthly. I called it fallout from the COVID-19 fallout. Some of the things that we have to be concerned with, that piece that I read to you from the OU is very much mirrors what I wrote. And, uh, yes, we do have to check all of our products now much more diligently than we had in the past to make sure that there's a kosher symbol on it. And I'm just mentioning this idea that I have that you have to be wary if you find a sticker, and, and you have to, and especially if it's close proximity to where the symbol is, 
possibly they were putting it on and they didn't hit there. So you have to uh, you could check with the OU and they'll be able to help you or the any organization they'll be able to answer you. I find that even though the stores are closed and the offices are closed, people are responding to the uh, to any question that comes in. And uh, life is going on, and as Hashem is Baruch, very soon it will be back. And those who had Amun and Bitachon before and keep it up, definitely they're doing the right thing. And those who didn't have it, maybe after tonight, you got a little Amun and Bitachon. And there's no question that it's very shortly going to be around the corner for things to return. But be careful, because especially if you're older, be careful, because even if they're saying that it's safe, uh, there's, there will be many people who have the, haven't had the disease yet, and if they catch it, they can catch it, and it's very easy to spread quickly. And the people uh, should, should think that, uh, that what they're doing, if they're following the guidelines of the rabbinim and the doctors and uh, the people who are giving them good advice, that they shouldn't feel bad if they can't participate in the, in the davening or they can't do something else that they would like to do because there'll be time for it in the future. Everyone has the first responsibility, the chaybahem, a person has to take care of their own, the cheyachicha imoch, that a person must take care of his own body first, and then he can be helpful to everybody else. Because if a person isn't, isn't well, then he's only a burden on everybody else. If, or, and, and, and that's our primary responsibility. But thank you very much for listening to Kashmir's on the Air, and we hope to join you again next week at this time between 6 and 7 for Kashrus on the air. Anywhere, anytime, for everyone. This is jrootradio.com. Got a toothache? Need a filling? Not sure where to go or who to trust? Visit Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, General and Family Dentistry. Reasonably priced, accepts most major insurance. Hebrew speaking, open Sundays, warm and caring staff, child-friendly and Hamish environment. Call them at 718-972-2970. Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, gentle and attentive care, 718-972-2970.